this is uh, this is not the Godfather, but you should still listen to me when I tell you to uh, listen to the 430 Movie Podcast. It's at 430movie.com, and they'll make you a podcast you can't refuse. If you're a Star Trek fan, you should listen to Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate Star Trek podcast for sci-fi fans with a life. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is... Steven Scarlatta. Uh, This is part two of what has turned out to be a three-part episode on the unmade Spider-Man movies. So if you have not listened to part one, go back and listen to that right now, because we are just picking up right where we left off with our guests, Ed Greer and Ashley Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, guys. All right, so we just left off on the Ted Newsom draft, which established a lot of the building blocks that we were going to see over and over again, done in slightly and often weirdly different ways moving forward uh you, you want to say a little something about the effects or what you want to say steve oh um or, i mean we can get there or i guess we we're gonna people were wondering how they were gonna do these effects for doc ock and i found um they were saying they were gonna take a cue from cronenberg's videodrome and construct a latex torso for uh, for the oct actor who was supposed to be bob hoskins this should be as horrifying to the audience as it is to oct himself in this one shot we'll see that the mechanical tentacles have grossly grotesquely penetrated his bodies they're not they're not just glued on prosthetics. This is the only way we need to see this, but it's essential the audience accepts the arms. Luckily, it's relatively cheap to cast a man's torso. Again, it's not in question of, ex- of expense, but imag- uh, imaginative use of existing techniques. And one more thing they were going to do was... Uh, our specific recommendation is dimensional animation... It's not a technique appropriate for everything, but it can't but it can't be beat for giving life to mechanical objects. Think of the robot skeleton in the last scenes in Terminator or the demon dogs in Ghostbusters. When we see Ock in full fury, a process shot of a live actor with prosthetics layered with fully extended miniature stop motion arms should thrill and scare. And that's the way they were going to try to do the effects for Doc Ock, uh, especially in the uh, these two versions, uh, the Tobe Hooper and the Joseph Zito versions. So, Well, this is now around when Toby Hooper had to leave. Was it, he going to shoot Texas Chainsaw 2? Well, what ended up happening was Joe Zito had two huge hits, Missing in but Action what? Is that and Hooper, Inva- left? Hooper yes. left, though? Yeah. Well, what happened was, yeah, so Zito has Missing in Action, which is a big hit, and in Invasion USA. 
Toe Pooper was their go-to guy. That's why he got put on Spider-Man. But oh, now, all now of a sudden, Zito, Zito is the, the go-to the guy. Go-to and guy. now Toe Pooper's on set with Invasion USA. I mean, no, yeah. Hooper's on set with Invaders from Mars. And so Zos- Joe Zito trapped um, uh, Golan in an elevator and told him, I want Spider-Man. And they went to the set of Invaders from Mars and told Hooper, Zito wants the product, wow. project. And then 24 hours later, the Ouch. project was Zito's. Although it didn't sound like Hooper really wanted to do it. Yeah, so. that's that was the thing, because he didn't know how it can get made. And so, um, yeah, Zito really wanted it, though. And, um, and so, yeah, when um, Newsom... And Brancato handed in their script, as we said last time. That's when they found out now Zito's involved, and now you have to work with Zito. And um, and so what ends up happening is is that um, Newsom and Brancato they didn't really get along with Zito, or Zito liked them, but they didn't really want to incorporate his ideas into the script, and they were pretty much fired. And yeah. Zito said they couldn't deal with them. <laughs> and so Zito goes and he brings um, Barney Cohen. Who, Barry Cohen. Barry Cohen, excuse me. Uh, who they, He had worked on Friday the 13th Part 4, the quote-unquote final chapter, which yes. turned out to be very not true. Good, one of the best Friday the 13th. And he made one of the best uh, Chuck Norris movies, Invasion USA. So. Uh, Barry Cohen also went on to create a 90s syndicated show called Forever Night. If you guys remember mm-hmm. that, oh, the the good vampire the show, the good vampire, the good show. detective vampire <laughs> it was like, show, you know, CBS late night or whatever the hell it was. Um, but let's dive into this because this is interesting because it's very similar to the Newsom script, but also just starts getting weirder. And I, I made a note to myself here that Barry Cohen, aka the wrestling version, because um, <laughs> this one very seems very excited about the wrestling aspect, which was normally just this minor point in uh, Spider-Man's origin story previously. Um, The cyclotron's still here. Now, though, Ock has an assistant named Wiener, who is described as such in the blocking of the script Mm -hmm. in his first scene, a local small-time hood hired by Ock to circumvent the school administration and to procure whatever Ock needs for his experiments. The reason I'm highlighting this is weird, though, is it just says that in the blocking and then it's never said in dialogue, meaning watching the movie, you wouldn't know this guy's relationship to Doc Ock. He's just this college professor inventor who has this weird mob goon (laughs) hanging out with him at all times. He's Um, the talk to. Well, yeah, Doc Ock in the last script, as in this one, is their teacher also. And so now Doc Ock is their teacher and he has this weird goon with him at all times in the school. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's very bizarre. Yeah, I think before, oh no, he was his teacher before as well. Yeah. Um, oh, also now Doc Ock has a catchphrase. Oh boy. I, in a million years, you could never guess what his catchphrase is. <laughs> Take a guess, though. Dynamite! <laughs> <laughs> you write comic book adaptations. You know Doc Ock. What would you maybe just give him as a catchphrase? Oh, you're trying to think, oh, Doc Ock, what would this guy's be? That's uh, something about... Uh... You'll never escape the many arms. <laughs> so, yeah, something you know, stupid. Like that. The point being, something that seems like, oh, I get why Doc Ock's saying this. Well, and this, this be script... the wrestling version. Maybe it's like you never escape these sixteen-inch pythons. <laughs> <laughs> um, here it is, okie dokie. He just says okie dokie a lot. Or maybe sometimes script. it's okie 
Doki. Like, <laughs> I mean, what, Christopher Lloyd? Yeah, yeah. I can't, I don't Oogie know. Doki. I know it's over 10 times throughout the script. Because oh, it's a drinking all, game. It's insanity. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so same thing that we got. Peter, Liz Allen, Flash, Harry. Though now Harry is no longer a merry prankster who wears heavy metal clothes. He is the school nerd, as he is described in the blocking. Um and Peter in this, they highlight more of the idea that he himself is also a genius. He just had a paper accepted by a science journal. Um, now, unlike the other one where Ock, the relationship between Ock and Peter is never really set up. He's, Peter's a student, Ock's a professor. Here, Peter, much like in Raimi, Spider-Man 2, thinks Ock is a genius. So they've already kind of got that relationship. Again, we have uh, Thorkel, the middle management jerk-off, and Roz. Although for some, his name is, again... Short for something, but in this it's Rossamorph instead of Rossamoff, which really leads me to believe, though, um, you know, because this is pre final draft, so clearly Barry Cohen was just looking at a hard copy of Newsome's script. I'm assuming he just misread Rossamoff as Rossamorph and really doubled down on it. (laughs) That's a new type of body type. Endomorphs, Rossamorphs, ectomorphs. Or Or this being a rewrite. Well, is he well. trying to change a certain <laughs> amount so he becomes writer? I mean, how does that work? Because from this moment mm-hmm. on, everyone follows this draft and not the draft before it. Because the draft before this is much better. And then this. No, it's dra- actually very well written. Like, just as a read, the Newsome script, you're kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. This, Newsome, this... Newsome Bracado. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, is, there is more of Like, a... if they'd made that script, that movie would have been pretty well, good. Well, I mean, yeah. I don't know about that, but <laughs> but but I, but I do know that. Look, as, we uh, all like Superman three. Well, everybody <laughs> we didn't have anything bad. Every, everybody here screenwriters, but but you know, there's something kinetic about a good style. Yeah, a better style. This is one of the better style drafts of any of this that, that I've read. It's got good, you know, not too not too many sentences in the action description, you know, all blocked up together. Mm-hmm. It just kind of it's trying it's to got get a flow. Yeah, it's got way more flow than um, a lot of this. Well, and we'll, we'll kind of get to later, but. Just to explain the style of this script is that Steve had told me that one of the later drafts um, was rewritten by Golan himself under a pen name. And before I pieced together the timeline myself reading the mountains of PDFs Steve sends me, (laughs) uh, I assumed this had to be the one that was written, rewritten by Golan because it has that vibe of it's written by a guy who's... uh, English is not their first language. Um, like, for example, um, Thorkel, this is this is a line of Doc Ock dialogue here early in the movie, which is, Thorkel, you are the dumpiest administrator our university has had ever. <laughs> I would really have loved to have listened to Bob Hoskins say that line. Ever. Um, well, it's also bizarre because in the opening, Doc Ock, is ignoring his class he like they, they're telling him yo you have to go teach he's like those imbeciles can wait you know and he does this he does an experiment and it sets the classroom on fire that all the students are waiting for him liz allen almost dies and then um peter grabs a fire extinguisher and then flash takes it from him and puts out the fire you know and then liz is safe and then literally right after the fire is put out doc enters i swear to god this is the script as soon as the fire ends doc comes in and starts 
lecture calmly as, as if nothing happened. He's like, oh, the universe is made up of forces and da da da. And everyone sits and starts listening. And so it's like a second ago, Liz almost burned up. <laughs> she was trying to escape the class. <laughs> so, like, you know, and so, and then the class begins. And then Doc Ock, it doesn't take the experiment to make him go mad. He's, from the very beginning, he's teaching this class. He's talking about how he's going to destroy the universe immediately. Like, it doesn't take the experiment for him to go crazy from, from like, first frame he's nuts in this draft yeah (laughs) what i don't understand about a lot of these drafts that we're going to look at and that we've been looking at is doc ock and the universe like i I get that in the the comic books there were certain schemes that he did that were that weren't just robbing stuff because he's a scientific mind but this whole destroy the universe this whole the world is at stake this whole whole buildings levitating and all this jazz is like you don't Spider-Man doesn't fight stuff like that. <laughs> like, why are you? Why are they trying to force Spider-Man to fight things like that? I don't get it. And they yeah, wonder he's why the this friendly was, neighborhood you know. Spider-Man, not the <laughs> friendly <laughs> cosmic event Spider-Man. <laughs> the paradigm, you know, for what people consider to be a successful superhero franchise at that time, the only one was Superman, right? So that provides, I think, the template for what everybody then chases, right? That template changes over time, um, whether it is the template that's, that, uh, that is identified by Superman the movie um, or the template that uh, the Tim Burton creates from Batman, which we see later in movies like, you know, The Crow, um, frankly, even to some extent in Blade. Um, that template doesn't get mm-hmm. redefined until Sam Raimi's Spider-Man um, and, uh, and X-Men. So uh, it, there's an interesting chain of um, a sort of creative title you know, for how development executives and how studios, I think, see these films and develop these films. Um, you know, even today we see that now with like, you know, DC spent a very long time chasing after Marvel, not quite understanding the model and how it applied to their own property. Mm-hmm. And to me, stuff like that is just, it's a symptom of the same basic syndrome. Mm. Yeah. Very well put. Thank you. Very well put. Thank you. You're welcome. You don't even have glasses to push up. (laughs) That was great. Um, See, I'm not just a dick joke guy. (laughs) And this also introduces a character named Kim who kind of gets repurposed more usefully in later drafts, but here doesn't do a lot. She's a hot girl. Um, who has a pet salamander for no reason that she just carries around. And the script describes her as, Kim is a ripe one and a hot, 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 exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) A ripe one. The script really crackles, you guys. Like she needs her diaper changed? Like, what is that? (laughs) Um, I, I mean, I'm also just fascinated by the character name of Wiener, which I really feel like they just named him that because they don't even every they, villain needs one. I think they make one joke in the movie in the dialogue about his name. Other than that though, I just feel like it's, it's Barry could like laugh while he was writing the blocking. Like I, <laughs> I highlighted this one. Prater turns a uh, Prater turns to go and comes face to face with the hulking Wiener. <laughs> and I'm like you know, this guy was just doing lines of cocaine and cackling to himself. God, the 80s are awesome. Yeah. I hope they oh, never they, end. And Doc Ock, to get rid of him one scene, says, piss off, wiener. wiener. <laughs> oh, I think that's the line. Yeah, the like one that. line where they really make use of it. Um, but again, it's kind of basically the same as the first movie, the Newsome script. But this this one now has this running thread that Peter has 
like his own theories that Ock realizes. I'm like, this is the missing piece to get my cyclotron going and mm. do whatever my nonsense cosmic scheme is. So he really wants to get that from Peter, um, which Wiener then tries to go... Um, oh, Peter gives the paper to Roz, in this one, Rosamorph, if you will <laughs> remember his name has for some reason been changed to... Um, doesn't work out. So this is kind of an ongoing three out the movies. Like we need to get this paper, this paper that Peter Parker wrote, so I can finish my evil scheme. Um, now we introduce uh, Aunt May, who's got she, in this one. She's like really aggressive about Peter needing like a girlfriend. Um, and if we thought him chasing down uh, Liz with the scarf and all that. That other <laughs> version was weird. This one is that uh, Liz is like, you know, I'm with Flash, turned now, whatever. But Aunt May tells him that any girl that's worth your attention is, of course, going to have a boyfriend being like, just keep bugging her until she breaks up with that bozo. <laughs> you need to do a podcast about people whose favorite character is Aunt May. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this 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 sex pot version will definitely go in the canon now of, of ones we have to talk about because, gosh. This Madam, Madam May. Um, were you going to say something, Steve? Oh, no. And actually, funny enough, Joseph Zito wanted Jessica Tandy as Aunt May in this version. So. Oh. But but the last version. Classic 80s choice for. Uh-huh. Bracado and Newsom wanted to kill Aunt May. Stanley stopped them. And so they made a hipper Aunt May in the, orig- in the previous draft. And so in this one, I guess they kind of took that out of this one. They just felt Aunt May was not worthy to live, but if they had to, it was like, well, we got to hip her up. Yeah, like these people are going to want this old bitty to get it. Oh, just just her, her skating in on her extreme skateboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would say, like, she listens to Tears for Fears as Peter listens to Frank Sinatra. Like, she'll roll his eyes at what he listens to and stuff like that. But this mm. is the 80s. Tears for Fears was big. Um, <laughs> so. Well, everybody wants to rule the world, including yeah, Doc so, Ock. That's right. <laughs> So now again, we have the big uh, inciting experiment gone wrong. But in this one, they add this weird element where um, Ock gets bit by the spider. Yes. Which I do not, having even though I know where the script goes, I still don't understand because he doesn't really develop spider powers. But no, he gets. This Does is he? what this is like the ma- the maddening starts setting in for me because <laughs> he gets bit by the spider and then he starts referring to himself as the real Spider-Man. Oh, right, yes. And because he was bit by the spider and then later on But he but wait, but he doesn't have spider powers though, right? No. Because because he has those arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah the he arms. You won't argue he doesn't need so, him, but I also don't understand why <laughs> they also had him get bit. And refer to himself as the real Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, it's an, it's insane. Um, and now this all there's also interesting because all of these have a scene of Ock at the hospital and the arms kind of coming to life, but never quite the Sam Raimi one that I wanted. You know where he's going mm, insane right. on the because they always have him on the operating table and they'll be like, "Oh, these are fused to his body." Anyway, yeah. put him in his room, and then we'll kind of just see one one twitch, and that's about all we get out of it. Yeah, because in Sam Raimi, they try to operate, and they explain them. This one, there's no explanation what they do. There's no explanation of of how they work. There's just no, this... the the most it made sense was in the 
knew someone that again I read the stuff about you'd see the dog fused with like mm-hmm. the wall and stuff as you get the idea of like oh the tentacles are just yeah they got fused with fused his body now yeah. um it's not even that they're stuck to him they're now like coming out of I think like the skin and stuff um ooh now now we really start getting into the wrestling part of this <laughs> uh, so this introduces the slammies which is like WrestleMania, I can only assume, is the idea. And all the college kids are super into it, especially Flash. Um, and Peter goes on that. Uh, and the other one now, the other one had him become, like, a little famous enough to kind of be, like, a stupid human tricks on, like, Letterman. Now he, like, really blows up the next day after Peter goes on the slammies. Um, there's a headline in the paper that says, Who is he? Mega Smash hits MTV. Oh, that's right. The slammies were on MTV. Like on Saturday night, of all things. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the kids go to visit Ock in the hospital, but dun, dun, dun. He's escaped. Uh, oh, he escapes. He grabs a uh, like a hospital robe, and he, he that's how he hi- hides his like tentacles. He just throws it over, and he escapes, and he walks out. Like, well, th- thank God for big ass robes, and- yeah. <laughs> especially the ones that tie in the back. Yeah. Well, it would be great if he's walking out, and they've got the the arms, <laughs> and then they do the reverse, and there's his butt. <laughs> he, he kills Thorkel and he puts him in a bed and covers him and then from that moment on we don't hear nothing about finding his dead body or anything by the way um, but in a key plot point um, one of the many people who's obsessed with the slammies and now Spider-Man <laughs> is Wiener who just goes on and on and on to Doc Ock about this Spider-Man guy he saw in the Slammies, and Ock is like getting like jealous. This is the re- I'm the real Spider-Man part. He's just kind of like what? <laughs> and here's a lie, Spider-Man, huh? Well, maybe I'll just go out and wrestle myself one of these days with all my new arms. I'm sure I can beat the Crusher or any other monster Crusher being. Being the other famous wrestler, um, and I was when I hit that scene, I was like, I was not expecting the story to go in this direction. M Night Shyamalan has nothing. Yeah. Oh, buddy. Uh, yeah. Then Wiener goes and counters Spider Man, and he can't help but like fanboy all over him. <laughs> You like wrestling? I love it. You're the best wrestler I've ever seen. Please don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a scene I think Golan wrote as well. If I keep saying his name right or wrong, because he's because they said at one point they think they he also thought he was like a Clint Eastwood character, and he just like throws Wiener around. Well, actually, what happened is like Wiener goes to see Peter Parker to get his paper for Doc Ock and Spider-Man happens to be on the roof of his building taking pictures of himself to sell to the <laughs> newspaper. Wiener climbs up on the roof and then he has like a fight with Spider-Man up there. Well, Spider-Man like starts beating him up while Wiener's telling him he's a great wrestler. And then Spider-Man's just like, Peter Parker don't live here anymore, split, and if you're looking for that paper, he doesn't have it. And he never brings up, <laughs> and it's just Spider-Man talking, you know? It's like, yo, like they don't, he doesn't know like how do you know about the paper? Well, there's there's <laughs> there's a startling lack of understanding Peter's voice in almost every single one of these scripts. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many times when Peter's just like, well, maybe may, and maybe they're harkening back to some of those comics I was talking about in the episode one about like in the Ditko era, he used to just be a sort of a brash jerk 
because it was like, what if a kid got too much power? So maybe they were kind of hearkening back to stuff like that, but you know. That's giving them a lot of credit. Uh, I'm, t- I'm, t- <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Can I get a job from Golan and Globus in the future? You know, Barry was just, or, but no, you're right. It is Barney. I'm sorry, Steve. Uh, you had a, it right. I've been saying Barry like a jerk this no, whole a, time. I had like this... a damn Rossamorph over there. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible <Rossamorph>. with names. <laughs> um, but it's speaking of this tone and not understanding stuff. This one is specifically about Wiener. But I made this note to myself too. You can tell this is the guy responsible for John Cryer's character in Superman Four. Because um, that's kind of Wiener's relationship with Doc Ock is very similar to, uh, I don't even remember what John Cryer's name was in Superman Probably 4. wasn't Wiener. No, it wasn't Wiener. <laughs> Should have been. That would have been more appropriate than this weird mob thug. I think it's okay you don't know it. <laughs> to be honest. Uh, oh, and then next big plot point is there's the campus's Halloween masquerade ball. And Wiener gets very excited when he realizes Ock is like, whoa, you could go without an outfit. Um, And he's dressing up as a clown, by the way, this big giant man. Wiener the clown. Um, And so this bit's actually kind of would would have been fun. Um, So much like in the comics, the, you know, whole joke with Flash Thompson is that he hates Peter Parker and is obsessed with Spider-Man. And that's in a lot of these scripts. A big fan of the Slammies. Um, And Flash, along with uh, a bunch of other people, go dressed up as Spider-Man. They're all hanging out at the ball. Uh, Peter goes in costume so we can talk to, like, Liz and, you know, be cool, that kind of old bit. Um, I'll get into the idea that I just kept feeling while reading it that Golan had to be the one who wrote the script themselves. Um, I highlighted (laughs) this scene to read just because I just kept hearing it in Golan's signature accent, Israeli accent. But um, I imagine that he didn't write the script, that it was him just wandering around the room <laughs> dictating it while like his you know, secretary <laughs> had to write it down. So this is at the Halloween, ma- Halloween masquerade ball. Um, it's like, the real Spider-Man slides to center four. The crowd backs away as Spidey spins out the greatest dance number in film history. He's all over the floor and on the walls and on the ceiling and on the glitter ball. He takes Liz and flies with her. He breaks the place up. And then he drops into a pose. Big cheers. <laughs> it had to be him because the year before was Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. Oh, yeah. Which he famously came up with the name for and they had that batshit scene where Turbo dances all over the room yeah. sequence, so he was bringing it back. So I'm just like, only Menachem had Golan had the balls to end a blocking paragraph with <laughs> big cheers. <laughs> well, not, my favorite is Spidey spins out the greatest dance number in film history. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it's beautiful. Um, but then, oh, that nasty wiener. Then he ends up, he breaks into Ben and May's house, again trying to find Peter Parker's papers, the MacGuffin that is these all-important scientific papers, and he's the one who ends up killing Uncle Ben. So at least unlike the last one, now that kind of ties in mm. for Peter a little bit more, um, leading up to a great Spider-Man line of, Say your prayers, wiener. <laughs> <laughs> Say your prayers, Wiener. <laughs> um, but he does give Wiener to the cops. He does not kill him. Wiener is, <laughs> Wiener is spared. Um, That's it for Wiener. 
And uh, now we get into, we've printed out the scene to read out. Okay, yeah. This and do you is... want to tee this up a little bit, Steve? Yeah, this is, um, Doc Ock stops by Peter's house to pretty much get his paper because now Wiener's arrested. And uh, Peter is out hailing a cab for Liz, who happened to stop by one uh, Peter's bar- borrowing her computer. So Peter's out hailing a cab for a really long time. Doc Ops, Doc Ops steps in and has a scene with Liz. And while we discuss the scene, just remember that Doc Ock is Liz's teacher, <laughs> which makes it a little bit more awkward, this sequence. So, And reading this scene, uh, Liz will be played by Ash, and Doc Ock will be played by Ed, and I will be reading the block. <laughs> Interior, Peter Parker's apartment, night. There's a knock at the door. Peter? She's about to open the door when four Waldos smash through it, obliterating it. Ox stands in the shattered doorway, Waldos writhing. Dr. Octavius? You're, you're, you're so weird with those, what do you call those? Waldos. (laughs) Did you hear about Spider-Man? Moving Waldos like spider legs? That's me, the real Spider-Man. Now tell me, where's that jerky friend of yours, Parker? Peter? Oh, he's not here. He's gone. I, I don't think he'll be back for a while. You wouldn't lie to your professor now, would you? He's running his Waldos through her hair. Of course not. Why would I lie about a thing like that? Really, he's out. We'll wait. Uh, grabs Liz's hair with his Waldos. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Let me go. Please take those things out of my hair eventually. My Waldos, you mean. <laughs> Whatever you call them, please. Ox shoots out two Waldos. Simultaneously, each grabs a chair from different parts of the room and brings them to the table. Sit. She does. He does too and folds his Waldos across his chest. He's a nice boy. A little nerdy, maybe, but nice, wouldn't you say? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. He's very inexperienced. One of Ox Waldos rests on the table curled around the computer. Liz lets her hand rest on it. Ock warms immediately. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you're a fascinating young lady. Thank you. Uh, you're so refreshing. You're so shocking. Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't say shocking. I would. She sticks his Waldo in an electrical wall socket behind the computer. The current sizzles through him, and he leaps up Waldo's akimbo like the cartoon cat. Liz runs out the door. Ock extricates himself from the current and gives chase. End scene. Wow. So you see what I'm saying? Well, they're really doubling down, and they're called Waldo's. <laughs> it's very important to them. I, I, I read a script. Uh, it's one of my friends. I hope he doesn't see this, but back in the days, he wrote a thing about... Uh, a, a character, some, some, he had some beams, and, and some beams came to grab the character or something. He said, "Beams, beams, you say?" <laughs> and to this day, me and my friends will go to each other. Beams, beams you say? <laughs> and this, this is some real beams, you say stuff. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> These Waldos. Oh my God! Uh, she sticks his Waldo. <laughs> Shock? Would you say shocking? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say shock. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. So good. Um, yeah, then there's like, uh, you know, if they'd had a budget for it, could have been a cool chase across the George Washington Bridge. 
where Flash is driving a car with Liz and Spidey in it, chasing Ock. I think they're going back to the university. Um, oh, this also has this whole silly runner in it talking about hacking the mainframe and just like generic things that don't make any sense and mean nothing is part of the ticking clock on why Ock needs the MacGuffin of Peter's papers so he can <laughs> finish his whatever is that the planetary conjunction is about to happen. Thank God he's a speed reader. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, well, that's the weirdest thing. It's like he's doing this paper... It's Saturday night at midnight, New York time, by the way, is when the planets are going to align. And but Peter hasn't isn't going to he gets a extension on his paper at the school dance. So it's like he's going to hand in the paper anyway after the the, the moons are aligning. But Doc Ock, it doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think, think I'm trying yes. to explain. It's pretty. Well, I, mean, I think the name of the paper too is the planetary conjunction and its effect on Earth gravity. So it all all Why not just together. ask him. Oh, by the way, like, yeah, <laughs> hey, he, Pete, you know, just kind of take me through it. Just Give me the pitch. Yeah. stroke right? his face with your Waldos. Yeah. He's <laughs> going <laughs> to give it up. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I highlighted this a bit as far as just good, meaningless <laughs> or meaningless dialogue and scientific mojo. So um, he gets Peter's papers and he's like, yes, yes, go on, go on. Uh, insert number sequences appear on the screen. Enormous! It's enormous! The Parker calculations add 4% gravitational force at the moment of full planetary conjunction, adding this to the present maximum power potential. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> it's all piecing together perfectly. Um, but then, you know, this kind of just follows kind of the same basic beats Yeah, we saw before, right? Where it all boils down... The universe, uh, science center getting floated up in the air again. Yeah, waka waka. Liz goes in this time, and then yeah, after he defeats Octopus, they escape with a um, with a uh, a flag, an American flag they use as a parachute because I guess oh yeah, there's no explanation where the web uh, web gizmos as it's referred to. Com- he never makes them really in the script. He just all so of a sudden he has, has them. them. That's why again, so, I think he just kind of looked at the yeah. other script and forgot oh, what he was putting well, in. Or oh, well, yeah, they like he just completely rewrote the other script and took out all the quips, all the like explaining, like yeah, just I don't know. It's the just the script. sense making part. <laughs> yeah, and but and then like I was saying, but this is the script now that. They will follow the rest, like they, you know, it's it's a Katamari ball of madness from this moment on. When they keep using this script, like they don't go back and use the first one, unfortunately. But, um, and now I think is when we start getting into the uh, financial woes that Golan had to deal with over at Canon Films that led to Superman Four, and I'm sure a bunch of other projects. Um. <laughs> Because, right, Steve, this is around when the company kind of craps out, right? Yeah, well, yeah, so they were going to make this, and then... I would say they they were obligated to make a movie by April of 1989. Um, And after Zito left, I think Stephen Herrick, who did Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, was maybe going to do the movie. Um, And... This is around, or what were you going to say, Steve? I feel you have tracked this better than me. Well, let's see. Yeah, well, what happened was, um, yeah, with this draft, Zito was still on board. They were going to shoot it in England with a British crew. And then what ended up happening was, 
Canon went to Cannes and pretty much made the announcement there. They bought Superman there, and then they bought Masters of the Universe, and I think that's when they made their big announcement there doing those two films. And so now this was kind of moved to the side. Zito was ready to go to England, and then they pushed England to... He was going to now shoot it in Italy, and he had like an interesting DP. And they were gonna, he was going to do it really dark in Italy with having Spider-Man be like the one bright light in the middle. But because Superman and Masters of the Universe bombed, they had to lower the budget. And so that's when Zito pretty much leaves the project. That's what I have. And, um, and then that's when Canon started to commission low-budget rewrites. So they went from like, um, let me see, do I have the budget? At this point, they spent $1.5 million on the project too before they canceled it, before they, tr- they wanted to do like a, a lower budget version. So, um, And I think they got Marvel to extend it from 89 to 92, somewhere around here. Yeah, that could be the thing. I, I don't, unfortunately, let me see. Um, Oh, yeah, this is what... Okay, so what happened was... So after those films bombed, they spent a million and a half, and they went to Zito, and they said, we have $10 million for your Spider-Man, and $5 million million of it has to go to effects. And that's when Zito walks. Like, I just cannot make this movie with that low of a budget. Because, yeah, now canon is starting to, you know, crumble a bit because its movies aren't making as much. After the bomb of Superman, Quest for Peace, and Masters... Because they were getting ready to do Superman 5 and Masters Universe 2. And, <laughs> well, they shot some of Superman <laughs> so 5. aspirant. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, and this is now then, is this when Ethan Wiley gets hired? Yes. Yeah, so what ends up happening is Albert Pune steps in as the director in 1987, and now the budget is slashed to $1.5 million. The budget? Yes. The whole, yes, wow. the whole budget. And so... What ended up happening was... Turns out Spider-Man just likes riding a bike around the city. It's like the electric company Spider-Man. He doesn't even talk. Yeah. Or walk on walls. He just kind of leaps into scene and kind of does this in front of kids and then he gets out. Well, I have two quotes. I have two quotes I'll explain it. One is from Albert Pune. We were going to shoot the first part before Peter was bitten, and then we were going to break and shoot Masters of the Universe Part 2. Then come back. That way, Peter Parker would have had time to work out. And he would have worked, it would have worked because he had time during the master's shoot long enough for him to bulk up. That was the plan. And then Ethan Wiley said, it was weird because they said, look, we don't have the rights to the comics, only rights to the character. So that's what they were dealing with. So now they had to do a rewrite where they can only use like Spider-Man. And, oh, wow. and, the, and the budget is now slashed to 1.5. And as I said, P- Albert Pune was going to do it, shoot half and then shoot the other half after he shoots Masters Universe Part 2. Wow. And so he bring and then at Cinefantastic mentioned this, I didn't find anywhere else, that Christopher Columbus, uh, he was warming up in the writer's bullpen. And, but, you know, nothing ever came of that in September 87. By and the then, way, when a writer warms up in the writer's bullpen, it basically means you sit on your ass and you like watch TV and you, <laughs> you eat Cheetos and that's warmed up, getting ready. And then that's when Shepard Goldman comes in. He wrote a movie called Salsa. And 
And Ted Newsom read his draft, and he just said, the impression I got from Shepard Goldman's thing was, it was like Porky's, except this guy occasionally put a Spider-Man suit on. <laughs> Dude, I would watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. And then next was Don Michael Paul, who wrote Harley Davidson, A Marlboro Man, which I like. And then he, he directed Half Past Dead and Tremors My My main memory five. of that movie was just that I worked at a video store called Video Update, and a lot of video stores, you know, would just have that VHS trailer loop you would just have to keep hearing the same whatever fit in that hour tape over and over, and Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man was on that. I don't even know if I saw the movie. I, just, I still have it fried in the back of my mind, the narrator guy being like, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Well, it's one of those where as you as you get older and more feeble, you're like, which one was which? T- Tango and the Marlboro? Oh, what, what, which, which, what is this? That will be one of our future movie nights. Yeah. All right, so Don Michael Paul stepped in, and he wrote one that pitted Spider-Man against a bat-like vampire creature called the Night Ghoul. And the Night Ghoul was an altered scientist who was set about avenging the death of group of scientists who were brutally murdered. And so that was going to be that version. And then Ethan Wiley stepped in and uh, March 89. And Ethan Wiley did House and House 2 and directed Children of the Corn Part 5. And what's weird is that all these writers have all been, except the guy who wrote Salsa, that's all been horror movie guys. I think that depends mm-hmm. on how you watch Salsa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, as, as Ashley talked about earlier, there, there's these parts of the zeitgeist of the creative, cre- creative process. They get locked in there. The body horror angle survives four more drafts past these ones we're talking about, the body yeah. horror angle of Spider-Man, because I guess they couldn't... They couldn't see how cool it would be to, to crawl on walls and stuff like, you got little hairs on your hands, <laughs> and they you can't even touch a goyle because they'll, <laughs> they'll recoil from you. It's like, why, why, why is it going to be all weird like this? Yeah, so, yeah, then Ethan Wiley, let me talk about that super quick. Um, again, he had to come up with his own villain, and so he came up with, um, uh, here was a quote I just I grabbed from him. I heard Pia Parker gets a job working for a scientist who's a paraplegic and he's working on a regenerative kind of limb type stuff with animals that can regenerate limbs. And the way he's financing this kind of underground operation down in a warehouse in Brooklyn is he's got a product of his experiments that that's this incredible drug that is like crack on steroids. And he oh. can't find money for this? Yeah. <laughs> no, He's got this, a dude in the basement? Well, actually, this one... Right. I like drugs being described as being on other drugs. <laughs> yeah. It's like marijuana on heroin, man. <laughs> and, that's how, and that's how he's funding it through this illegal drug operation that's wreaking havoc on the neighborhood with these people on this crazed drug. I almost... I have almost superhuman power, and they terrorize the streets and things. <laughs> Peter you Parker, said every you know druggy ever. <laughs> Peter Parker, like, superpowers. Go Super Sentai. I love the almost. Like what's almost superhuman? That's human. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, and then Peter Parker learns that he's been manufacturing a drug that's destroying his friends and people on the streets, and and the villain was a scorpion. He uses genetics and injects himself trying to regenerate his limbs and it goes haywire and he ends up with a big scorpion tail it was to play like the octopus character well there is a spider-man character the scorpion yeah yeah Ah, so 
Well, I, I love this. All this, all these weird machinations they're finding to try to make villains out of other villains. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the spider <laughs> bites Doctor Octopus. Doctor Octopus. You know, it's 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 a weird transmutation. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're trying to just. It, and it, it, one of you brought up: Are they just changing stuff to change it? You know, there's a lot of that going on. Well, one of the things that era. happens is, you know, when you start with a draft. You don't always get like here's a stack of everything that's happened in this development process to date. You know, if anything, you get well. Here's this draft. Here are the things that we liked about this draft. This many things. Here are the <laughs> things we don't like about this draft. This many things. But please don't change a lot of this because we're afraid if you change a lot of this, then what we like about this is going to be like this. Uh, so there isn't a lot of. It, there isn't as much institu- institutional memory as you might think. So, I mean, there is, I, I you know, because I do a lot of rewrites, um, I, I think, and I have done a ton of arbitrations for the guild. And I think what <laughs> happens with a lot of writers is there's a bit of kind of trying to read the tea leaves from what they're presented um, by the studio, by the development executives, what material they do manage to see and try to discern, like, what are the things that are actually important to the people who are writing my paycheck? Right. Mm. So some of these things survive because there might be an executive who's sitting there telling you, yes, but we really like the Waldos. <laughs> yeah. So let's keep the Waldos. And you might be like, hello, the Waldos are kind of stupid. Great name, but kind of stupid. And, but you'll never win that fight. So, you know, you have to on some level kind of serve who that, that customer is. So if there's if there's a if there's anything I think kind of ties the whole room together. It's the producer behind it. He yeah. liked certain mm. elements. Yeah, so it seems like this one, they were like, okay, I like the regenerating limbs thing, but he can't be the lizard. Who fights a lizard? My gardener fights lizards. He, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't wear a costume, so <laughs> he doesn't fight a lizard, lizard. No, but a scorpion? A scorpion. The a wild sp- bug yeah. fights the scorpion. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> William freaking Holden fights the scorpion. Ernest <laughs> Borgnine <laughs> fights scorpion. It takes both of them to defeat the scorpion. <laughs> can't call them tentacles. It sounds too much like testicles. Waldos, Waldos. <laughs> <laughs> you can't call them tentacles, wiener. <laughs> well, then, so how do we loop back to the story as we know it then with Frank Lelogia? Okay, so Frank Lelogia is coming up. So what ends up happening is, um, yeah, Cannon shuts down Spider-Man. Golan leaves to create 21st century films. Uh, when, when Golan was forced out, of the company, he was offered a golden parachute, which was supposed to translate to a great deal of money, but the deal never could close. So in negligate, neg- negotiation, he took properties with him. He took Spider-Man, and he also took like Captain America. That was, Joe, Joe Zito said that in Empire, what I just read. So yeah, so Golan was forced out of canon, and yeah, and he took Spider-Man, Captain America, and a few other properties with him. And that would be the Captain America you were talking about in the first yeah. episode, directed by Albert Pune, which has a famous story that Albert Pune did a whole day of shooting without filming the camera because they just didn't have money and he couldn't tell the the, the crew. Well, that's my next question. A lot of these things have to do with um, maintaining the the rights. You know, it's like how much of the whole story about you shoot part of the Spider-Man film before Masters of the Universe two and then you come back is really. 
well, we're not really ready to shoot Spider-Man, but we've started a clock, mm-hmm. you know, on the rights, and so we need to shoot something. Mm-hmm. You roll camera, and like now we're kind of good. We've got an extension on mm-hmm. the rights. I mean, that's a that's a great reason to sort of set things up, not shoot anything. Is basically you're you're planting a flag in the ground and saying um, this is all for maintaining the rights, and you know, there's nothing you know that requires us to actually shoot a frame of film. We just have to have a day on which we are spending money on mm-hmm. the shooting of the. It's very strange. Well, just just imagine being a pawn in that game. You're you're that actor, and then mm-hmm. and then you're doing this vision quest for four months while they're supposed to be doing something. Then you come back. We're gonna shoot, right? I'm super buff, and they're like, We're not gonna, <laughs> yeah. we're not gonna do that anymore. Get out of here, you buff bastard. Go park my car. You know, and you're just, oh man, you told your mom and everything. <laughs> I'm gonna get all buff for a movie, mom. <laughs> yes, wait. I guess at this point, Tim Burton's Batman is released and is a huge hit. And um, sure, that changed a lot. Finally, yeah. having another hit. Then that, that actor sees that muscle suit and goes, "Dude, I didn't have to do it." So <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, I guess when Golan formed 21st Century, he approached uh, Sony Columbia because they were looking for a tentpole franchise. And still are. They, and then that's when he brought uh, Frank uh, Laloja. Who direct? Who wrote Lady in White? Any movie that gave me a lot of nightmares when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, that's a great movie. And mm. Fear No Evil, like an early '80s high school horror film, and to go with the horror element again. And he writes an 83-page treatment that was dated December 4th, 1989. And this follows. This goes back to the same Doc Ock professor thing. Wiener's still in it, but now Wiener is the sidekick to uh, the wealthiest, most powerful international business tycoon in New York named Rupert Havert, um, who's, I think, kind of like secretly financing Ox experiments at the university and then like immediately screws him over. Um, Ock turns on the machine. Wiener tries to shoot Ock, which causes like a big explosion. Um uh, in this one, for some reason, uh, Ock has six Waldos, which I'm not great at math, but now I feel like he no longer has that total of eight limbs that makes his name make sense. That's why they're going to call him Tentakill. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, what are their tweaks on this? I uh, love this scene when Ock uh, goes to get revenge on uh, Rupert and Wiener. He basically shows up at uh, Rupert's like rooftop, you know, mansion, condo, whatever, where he's hanging out with his goons and a bunch of bikini babes. Um, as you do. Yeah, as yeah. you do. As you do, once you become the wealthiest, most powerful international business tycoon in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, he kills Rupert by throwing him off the building, and then to his goons, he's basically just like, you know, I'm your boss now. And they're all like, sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. We're sure you're totally read right into our health plan. You know how that works. <laughs> paychecks aren't going to be interrupted. <clears throat> Wiener kills Uncle, Uncle Ben again in this draft. Yeah. Um, and now he's got a bunch of goons with weird names, including another one named Dinko. Fan of that name. Dinko, Wiener. <laughs> oh, uh, Wiener has a phenomenal death scene. <laughs> Yeah, I saw Wiener go down. Yeah, he's got a. Now I get it, Barney. I phenomenal. Get it. It's just funny every time. Well, well, Spider-Man catch. Well, after he kills Uncle Ben, you know, we go to the classic warehouse scene where he faces off with Wiener. 
and uh, with the killer of Ben. <laughs> and so he webs. <laughs> All right, so um, he pretty much webs up Wiener. And um, <laughs> hold on, let me find it. Ah, it just shouldn't be that. Spider Man sh- yeah, really sh- shoots a web causing Wiener to be stuck. To, <laughs> and um, while he's stuck, suddenly an incredible blast slams. Striking Wiener dead on and setting him on fire. So pretty much what happens is Doc Ock cruises by in a limo, pulls out a bazooka, and shoots Wiener. Oh, wait. Yeah. I want to read this. I'll just read this exchange. Yeah, so. I want to read this exchange just because I, I also was drawn to this bazooka moment. Um, so this is him uh, with Dinko. And he's like, what do you call this thing, Dinko? Ah, bazooka, boss. Ah, yes, a bazooka. Primitive but effective. Uh, just one thing, boss. What do I tell the boys when they ask where we've been? Tell them we were at a wiener roast. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, Wait, and what? This is a, and then the next, for, for, the next explanation is Spider-Man and the burning wiener. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, now, now Frank Lelouch getting into the jokes, uh, snorting his lines yeah. of cocaine. Oh God, he's like, I don't even need a paycheck. This is just so rewarding. The, on itself. the madness of production and even pre-production is very apparent. Yes. Oh yeah. In, in all of these, oh, this yeah. is an 83-page treatment. At this point, like. Well, 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 just you know, the sign of the, the times yeah. a little bit, <laughs> but uh, also in the. Dis- uh, the treatment description is when Ock gets, you know, once again, all about making things float so we can get, as far as things you could tell that Golan just wanted to keep, is that some sort of building needs to float up in the sky at the end. So in this one, Ock is making an uh, anti-gravity gun, basically. And when he's testing it out, we see skirts fly, women's skirts fly upwards, in parentheses, no complaints from the guys on this one. Gentlemen are losing their hats. We see a sea of hats above the city. And I'm also just like, how How old is this guy? All men wear hats. (laughs) The sky is full of bowlers and skirts. Everybody's watch chains are floating through the sky. And all the girls' dresses fly up and the guys are mighty pleased. (laughs) Their hoops are spinning in the air. The chauffeur's buggy whips fly into the sky. Also, um, unwoke sign of the time. So this is the 80s. As we all know, 80s had a lot of like evil Soviet Union guys, a lot of like Colombian drug lords, a lot of drug dealer stuff. Like I feel like a lot of people don't remember that the entire plot of Three Men of the Baby is actually that the mom of the baby is fleeing like drug lords and leaves the baby with our heroes and the entire end of that movie is like an action movie <laughs> gunfight basically I had totally forgotten in a construction site that anyway so this awesome. has a running bet um, with a Japanese businessman um, for I guess maybe for you young people who don't know it was a big concern in the 80s mm-hmm. for white people in America if a that- Japanese businessman Came in selling drugs, boy. Oh, that would be great. (laughs) Superhuman. I feel like Japanese people, either they were just tourists taking lots of photos in 80 movies, or it was that they were buying American companies and stuff. So there's this running bit that we keep seeing this Japanese guy, just like a guy, Mm -hmm. is the joke. It's a guy with his wife and kid showing up at like famous... New York landmarks like the Brooklyn Bridge, the Empire State Building, the Goodyear Blimp, revealing that he had like the deed to it and just bought it. 
Waka waka. Wow. And he was also a ninja. Yes. <laughs> he, threw, he threw sharpened bearer bonds at people. He's the yeah. only one who can fight Spider-Man. How good! That should have been the end of the movie, though, was the Doc Ock was like about to kill Spider-Man. The Japanese guy shows up and he's like, my own the deeds to your Waldos. Sorry. <laughs> what? I want to give them to my daughter. And first things first, I will change the name. And Doc Ock's like, no! Um, Waldos! <laughs> Ock uh, kidnaps um, Liz on the Goodyear blimp. Um, yes, you do. And then he's this one. He's making City Hall float up in the skies. The thing he's making float. And I'm going to give you one guess. Who recently bought the deed to City Hall? Japanese businessman. Yes, <laughs> Japanese businessman. How can you even do that? I don't know. But the one thing he they do explain that opening is Peter does demonstrate his glue-like substance to class. So throughout this whole movie, Peter uh, is working on the. Yeah, this actual... one at least explains yeah. where it comes from. Wait, okay, is this a draft where they show him like he's working on the glue substance and the whole class like gathers around to look at him with the glue and basically Flash Thompson? There's one of these drafts, the, uh, Flash Thompson and some goons pick up like a, a, a giant chest of drawers. Or, or oh, like that, a, I think that is the Yeah, a filing cabinet. And and Peter has prepared the ceiling with a little patch of the goo. They lift it up ladders. I don't even know how they were going to do this, how they were going to film this, but they walk up a big step ladder as goons pulling this thing up to the ceiling, and they stick it to the ceiling. And everybody goes, wow, this is awesome. And then like two minutes later, it falls down, and everybody's like, Peter, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> like, He's like, what? It was amazing for a second. Ah. Hey, that's very Loser. close to being amazing. Somebody wisely asked the question about the, uh, the web fluid thing. It's like, look. Especially if you look at how it was applied in the Spider-Man cartoon, right? Spider-Man didn't just kind of spin webs and, like, swing from them and capture dudes. Like, he once made a goddamn, like, hoverboat like, to, like, go mm. out on the swamp. He made a swamp boat out of the webs. Mm. So you're Peter Parker <laughs> and you're poor. And you invent a substance that seems to have an infinite supply. It's an infinite resource, right? That's super strong, super sticky, can hold anything, like has almost infinite range, and you can make a goddamn swamp boat out of it. And you're poor? Yeah. How does that happen? Well, you know what? I think they, they never worked out the fact that it was like, it's like, like Flex Seal, right? Flex Seal doesn't dissolve after an hour. That's why Flex Seal is such a million, <coughs> million dollar idea. What if it dissolved in an hour? Right. Would that still be a billion dollar idea or would it be some weird anomaly? Right. So, but they never explore that. Right. Yeah, we, like, we've put more thought into that than yeah. they have for 40 years on some level. <laughs> um, well, we are now finally with... coming to the end of the journey that is the Menachem Golan phase of this project. Um, and we have, I'm, do you know exactly, I don't know quite now how this fits in with what Golan was doing, but Stan Lee himself, I assume everyone knows who Stan Lee is at home, but for those who don't, co-creator of Spider-Man, um, cameos in all the recent Marvel movies, uh, he finally took a whack at Spider-Man, and he also wrote up a treatment, um, which is kind of a fun read if you're a Stan Lee fan, because it's got all that Stan Lee flavor to it that you would expect. Um, and, but it, again, still follows the basic... Um, Golan plan that with Ock being the villain and something floating up into the sky at the end. This floating jazz is really pissing me off. <laughs> You're like, okay, Move on, man. he's got arms that that are super duper strong. In that world, he's the strongest thing there is. There's no Avengers or anything. 
and his his the person who opposes him is a seventeen year old who has a wheat cake appointment and and has to go pick pictures of himself. He's the most powerful thing there is. Just roll with that. But no, he's got to make buildings flow. And th- this is the one where uh, uh, basically Doc Ock has a flashlight that he flashes onto things and they float. So as long as they're within this flashlight's level Which beam, is so... it'll float. Late sixties Stanley kind of villain. (laughs) So if you invent that, you do not need to rob banks. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Everyone will want this technology. Right. So you could do anything with that. Transfer large packages. Whatever you want. So many. But yeah. So this this Doc Ock has to make things float thing. It's so stupid. It's, and we've got it. Oh, it's, it's over and over and also over. Like these John times. Peters' like uh, infamous obsession with uh, Superman fighting polar bears and yeah. also gigantic spiders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ironically, mm-hmm. Um, in in true Stanley fashion, I, this is not listed. It's supposed to be like the opening text of the movie or you know graphic on screen i think it's just how he wanted to open his treatment it's just a page that says this is the startling saga of two men each possessing fantastic superpower one has the capacity for good the other can destroy the world i'm like yeah it's stanley getting you ready to read his uh this treatment here, and then to, to tie in, I understand like in screenwriting, uh, there's this propensity to go, yeah, the Joker killed my parents, and that's why I'm I'm so hardcore and emo. But in re- the, when when you make the world so small, it like tends to diminish mm-hmm. some of these things. And I think this is a case where it, like the world being that small and them having the same inciting incident to give them all their powers and stuff is a little, yeah, it's a little strained. And this also has the weird structure where. For most of the movie, it's just Doc Ock going around committing crimes, and Peter is just kind of like farting around. <laughs> uh, first is just Peter Parker, and then he gets his uh, like he tries out for the football team and stuff like that. And this one, he lives with Aunt May and Uncle Ben, um, even though he's I think it's all still the same thing where Liz and Flash and Harry are hanging around. Um, but now it's like a much longer period where he's like thinking about fighting Crusher Cole and then doesn't really want to do it. And then he sees an ad for a TV talent show. So he makes an by Spider-Man outfit. And now he just kind of becomes a success doing Spider-Man TV talent show stuff, which just thinking cinematically is way less exciting than him becoming a wrestler. So basically he's just waiting for the plot to call. Yes, exactly. Oh, it's like, very come much on. so, and it's very much like, and I don't know, just anybody who worked on this movie, but um, uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. Mm-hmm. There's like 40 minutes of him farting around, like, "Hello, my <laughs> baby, I'm a part of the USO. I'm like, it's me and Bob Hope." And it's like, dude, you're a super weapon. Get out there! It's like, nah, they got me relegated, buddy. You know, <laughs> and th- there's a lot of that in this too, where he relegates himself to this entertainment. It's almost like they expect you to be on page 50 of the screenplay, and he's still sort of a wrestler, still messing around. Mm-hmm. This has the fun bit, though, that he gets a check from his TV talent show stuff, and he tries to cash it, but it's made out to Spider-Man. <laughs> That's straight out of the comics. <laughs> right. That's straight That's out of the comics. That's also how yeah. business affairs screws you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, that scene in Silicon... stage name, kid. Yeah, that yeah. scene in Silicon Valley, where, where like the, the main character gets his huge check, but it's made out to the company, not him, so he can't cash it. And, and this is the one that has... Uh, the notable bit of Doc Ock start because as always, Aunt May is strapped for cash. Peter has no money, so we can't help her. So she starts renting out a room in uh, her house now that Ben is gone. And guess who rents it? Doc Ock. Dun 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 dun. Um, and unless I'm wrong, though, he doesn't know 
Spider-Man lives there. It's just purely a coincidence. And Aunt May really loves him, and he's like reminding her to take her medication. So now it's a Three's Company episode. Kind of, well, and then there's <laughs> this, it, the weirdest part about it that really highlights how weird it is is that uh, he's really helping Aunt May, and she loves him. But when Peter realizes, like, oh my god, my the super villain's living here. This is unacceptable. But then when Akka's like, I'm going to move out, Peter gets really mad. He's like, this is going to crush Aunt May. He's telling him, how can you do this? And I'm like, well, Peter, you're mixed messages here. Um, In this one, the building that he floats, Ed's favorite part, is that he ends up floating the UN building up. So these these things are changing real radically in this one. Um, oh, and this also has a weird thing where there's the subplot of this like mysterious government agent named Dana, who then at the end turns out to be Doc Ock's daughter. Bah, 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 bah. Dana Ock. Yes. <laughs> Dana. Well, she, she also has a, a funny line. She goes, uh, he, he, he sees Dana following him. Spider-Man sees Dana following him. And she goes, I just know an intriguing male when I see one. And then later, like, she seduces Spider-Man. Uh, she, like, just gets him into a room and turns the lights down low and starts jumping on him and stuff. And, and the, the line Steve, uh, Stanley writes is, uh, he doesn't resist. After all, he's a male. <laughs> <laughs> you can just, you can just see him <laughs> say it. <laughs> Uh, uh, I would have loved to hear the audiobook version of this <laughs> read by Stan Lee. Um, but this is maybe a good place to end before moving on to Chunk 3, which will be the post Menachem Golan James Cameron phase the biggest of the sagas. <laughs> uh, again, a special thanks to our guests, Mr. Ed Greer and Ashley Miller. Thank thanks you. for coming on, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us for Best Movies Never Made. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge. Electric Surge's other podcasts, like the 430 Movie, every Friday, in which a group of writer-producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies. And Inglorious Trexperts, the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. Available every Saturday where you, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. You can follow us, Best Movies Never Made, on Instagram or on Twitter, where our handle is uh, Never Made Film. Every <laughs> yeah. time. I, I can't gotta write remember. it down. <laughs> yeah, me too. So until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlato saying we won't see you at the movies. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.